Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Good morning, everybody. This is the Grace for This City podcast, and I'm your host, Justin. We are so thankful that you have tuned in today. You know, people say, how are you helping us turn cities upside down? Well, we are giving you scriptural motivation and strategies, my friend, to help you get out there and get some stuff done for Jesus. We are rooting for you. He has got some things for you to do, and we're saying, hey, just say yes and get out there and and be encouraged. That's what we want to do. We, we want to motivate you, encourage you, and strengthen you. Get out there. Hallelujah. Send us your testimonies at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. We want to celebrate with what God is doing in your life. Guess what, friends? I'm joined again in the studio. If you uh, were listening last week, we left you on an amazing cliffhanger, and I know you've been waiting for the second half to this. So I'm joined again. That's right. Right here in the studio with my good friend, John Thomas. Oh, man, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was more nervous when we started the first one, but, uh, man, I'm fired sure. up now. Oh, yeah, you were ready to rock and roll, man. Well, we had to cut you off there. You were on a roll, but you know what? It, it, it landed in a great spot because where you're going to pick up at from here, it's going to be amazing. Praise God. Hallelujah. John, you're a, a powerful minister, and we're honored to have you here. And uh, just like I said uh, last week, I said you and I are going to be doing some tent meetings. Yeah. So we're, we're praying into that. Join us as we're praying into that. Uh, the Lord put that on both of our hearts, and uh, it's, it's going to happen. So we may be coming to a city near you, friends. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, is there a place near you that needs some good, solid teaching, needs some Jesus presented to the people? Are there people near you that need to be healed, delivered, and set free? Well, then... Uh, John, for sure, is your man. Hallelujah. And I'd, I'd love to tag, tag along with you. Oh, I'd be honored. I'd be honored. <laughs> we need to go do that for sure. Uh, yeah, so be praying about that. All right, John, let's pick up on this. So we're talking about um, uh, being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're answering lots of questions. We're clearing out a lot of clutter on this subject. And you're doing a fascinating job. Talking about the flesh hooks. But the question that a lot of people have is, can a born-again believer be demon-possessed? And we, last week, people can go back and listen to that, but through the course of that, we answered that, and the short answer is no. no. Um, and, you know, we derive that from the Bible, <laughs> that the Bible says that when we were born again, that this isn't just some mental ascension to this idea that no, something actually transpired on the inside of us. Our spirit, we're a three-part bearing being, our spirit was totally recreated. We are a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus. We are now a habitation, a dwelling place, um, a temple for the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And he's not sharing a bedroom with demons, is he? He is not. So the 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 spirit of a man prior to being born again can be possessed. I mean, you're you're of the darkness, is what is what is what the Bible says. You're children of the devil. It says we were darkness, even we yeah, are darkness, right? Before, before. Mm -hmm. But when you're born again, now you're children of the light. Yep. Okay. So then, okay, if we've settled that, of course, we're not doing a full, you know, uh, you know 
survey of the scriptures to um, teach that today, but that's the short answer. But what happens, John? Because we're we have our own experiences, but then just the experiences of of others and even the Bible weighs in on this quite heavily. That even though you cannot be possessed, there's still uh, something um, that allows for the devil to come in and which we're talking about last week, kind of put a hook in somebody. And that is through what? Flesh hooks, flesh hooks or agreements, agreements. So that's, that's what you're teaching us. Jump right in there, John, take us away in part, part two. Yeah. So last week I shared about the story of me and my brother and the Lord giving me a dream, showing him that he, he literally was for me on the inside. His spirit is for me, but I could see that the enemy had ropes or strings attached to points on his flesh that literally let the enemy maneuver my brother, manipulate my brother like a puppeteer would manipulate wow. a yeah, puppet. Like a puppet. Wow. And so I, when I saw that, I said, Lord, what are you showing me? And that's when he led me to do some research on flesh hooks. I'd heard the term before, but, you know, just had to go, okay, what does the Bible really say about it? And I found it pretty fascinating what it does have to say. And so what we learn is, yeah, as a born-again believer, you cannot be possessed on the inside by a demon spirit, period. But what happens is we can come into agreement with the enemy because when the enemy comes and, and like we talked about that fishing analogy, puts that bait in front of you, hey, I want you to agree with this, anger, lust, whatever it could be, and you grab that fish hook, boom, the hook is set. Now the enemy really has the ability to sort of trigger that or reel that in Mm. anytime they want to. And so that's what I experienced in my own sure. addiction. Yeah. It's like it's like you just literally get pulled into a direction that you had no intention or wanting to go. Like Paul says, I'm doing the things I don't want to do. Yeah, Romans 7, yeah. And uh, so we find that happens with these agreements that the enemy goes, nope, I've hooked you because you came into agreement with me. Instead of into agreement with the Word of God, you came into agreement with the enemy. And he goes, that which you came into agreement with, that's mine. I have access over that now. I get to do what I want with that. So these agreements are so powerful. What we in our own mind, in our own heart, decide that we're going to agree with really makes or breaks what our outcome is going to be. And, and, and the enemy can render a Christian completely useless because sure. they come into these agreements with various things. And next thing you know, you're stuck in this pattern where you're falling into various, could be addictions or just um, sort of mental attitudes of, Hey, I'm never good enough. I'm not ever going to be good enough. How could how could God ever want to use me because of who I am yeah. and the things I've done? That's and the a lie. I keep doing? That is a lie. Anyways, some some people just agree with it. Yeah. Some people, a lot of people, agree with it. It's a very powerful tool of the enemy, I believe, to keep Christians ineffective because they go, "Well, look at all these things I'm doing. How could how could God ever want to use me?" And God just wants you to get free of those things. And uh, so I really believe that one of the reasons God has given me this teaching is to help people get free of these things and realize it's in your mind, this agreement in your mind, in your heart, whether you decide to come into agreement with what the word of God is saying about a thing, or you're going to come into agreement with what the enemy is saying about a thing. John, are you going to read Romans 7? Do you have that in your notes? I don't think I do. Go for it. Well, because this, this, this is what we're talking about is even Paul uh, f- discovered something. And in Romans chapter seven, it's a fascinating chapter. And uh, he said, what I will to do, this is uh, verse 15, what I will to do that I do not practice. You, you alluded to this a second ago. Mm-hmm. 
what I hate to do that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And, and then he goes down in verse 21. He says, I find a law. It's a spiritual law, spiritual reality. That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God or righteousness according to the inward man. But I see a law in my members war, uh, warring against the law of my, uh, of my mind and bringing me into captivity. So what's he saying there? I mean, that's, that's a mouthful. But he says, according to my inward man, his born-again spirit, it's right with God. It's perfect with God. The Holy Spirit dwells in there. Yeah. Uh, he has an unction from the Holy One, uh, for, was that First John? And, and he knows all things. And he's got the mind of Christ there. That's, that's where the access to the mind of Christ is, is via the Spirit. So he says, in my born-again spirit, I want to do what's right. But he says, but there's a spiritual law. And it's one that can bring me into captivity. Yeah. And it's found in the members or in the flesh. Yep. So there's desires and cravings and stuff. And that's where those hooks get, get set. So sometimes a, a born again believer, you're in this situation like Paul found here, found himself in. It's like, man, why do I do the thing I don't want to do? Why did, do I find myself over here? Um, yeah, and you know we could call it sin or whatever, but just you know doing this thing that I don't want to do, I know I don't need to be doing it. But why do I find myself here? Paul said, "Well, there's a spiritual law as to why this happens. It's not it's not something wrong with your spirit, mm -hmm. but it's just something in the flesh that has to be dealt with." Yeah. Yeah, we come into these agreements, and uh, when the Lord was talking to me about flesh hooks, I'd heard that term before, but he said, really look mm -hmm. into that. See what the Bible has to say about that so you can learn how those work. How does this flesh hook work? So I started reading, and in Exodus 27, verses 1 through 3, we find the first mention I can find of flesh hook. It says, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits you shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be a part of it. You shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make its pots for ashes and its shovels and its basins and its meat hooks or flesh hooks and its fire pans. You shall make all of its vessels out of bronze. And here the Lord's telling them how to make the altar and the implements of the altar. And this is the place where we're supposed to bring the sacrifice and we find that what the flesh hook was originally made for was to bring the flesh to the altar. That's what God designed it for, was to bring the flesh to the altar. And from what it looks like to me, it seems like that this thing um, in its original form was like, I think of when people do the hay baling, sometimes mm. they use these things with a handle and it's got one big hook on it and you can right into the side of the bale of hay and drag it or flip it up on the trailer. And, you know, that's a hay hook, but very similar to what they're describing as a flesh sure. hook, where you jab it into the big piece of meat, you take the flesh over, and you put it on the altar, and you burn up your flesh before the Lord. Wow. That's what it's made for, is to get the flesh, get your flesh on the altar. Yeah. So, wow, okay, it's just neat that he's describing this particular uh, implement, the flesh hook, in amongst all these things that he's so carefully describing on how to build the altar and the different things that he finds important and how to put it together. 
And then several times in the Old Testament, we found we find flesh hooks, and it sort of just gets more grand the way he's descri- describing all these things in First Chronicles twenty eight eleven through eighteen. That scripture says, "Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof, and of the treasuries thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and of the inner parlors thereof, and of the place of the mercy seat, and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit, of the courts of the house of the Lord, and all the chambers round about, of the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries of the dedicated things, also for the courses of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. And here's the vessels he gave of gold by weight for things of gold, for all instruments of all manner of service, silver also for all instruments of silver by weight, for all instruments of every kind of service, even the weight of the candlesticks of gold, and for their lamps of gold by weight for every candlestick and for the lamps thereof and for the candlesticks of silver by every weight, both for the candlestick and the lamps thereof, according to the use of every candlestick. And by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread, for every table, and likewise silver for the tables of silver, and also pure gold for the flesh hooks and the bowls and the cups and the golden basins he gave Gold by weight for every basin, and likewise silver by every weight for every basin of silver. And so here it's describing the altar and all these beautiful things like the the golden lampstand and the candlesticks and the table of showbread and all these things that are adorned so beautifully and so important, how they're made and that they're made with such care and craftsmanship. And right in the middle of this we find the flesh hook. Yeah, it was golden, right? Here it was golden, yeah. yeah. Originally it was bronze, but here it's golden. Wow. And then, you know, God God is such a God of detail. He doesn't put these in here by accident. These details right. where he talks about the flesh hook, it's because he wants us to know something about it. And we've already kind of discerned that it was for bringing the flesh to the altar. But it's just incredible to me how much care he puts into the describing and making of all these beautiful things it's almost to me like someone who's talking about you know they're designing this house and i've done this beautiful cabinetry in the kitchen and i've done this beautiful work here in the tile in the hallway and and right here in the middle of that he says in this golden flesh hook bless you excuse me (laughs) so i better get a little water yeah yeah that's that's you know, we might just read through that and be like, flesh up, whatever, these implements. Nah, man, everything's in there, John, like you were saying. Everything, even down to the numbers. Yeah. I mean, everything is for, uh, you know, maybe a prophetic significance, say. It's a revelation of something. Yeah. And it it, it actually just keeps on, as I, as I read more, the next one gets even more detailed into the things it's talking about. And right in the middle of all this detail, again, it talks about the flesh hook. Like, this is something the Lord made that he's sort of proud of because, look, this is what's supposed to take our flesh and, and get it onto the altar. Yeah. But what we find is that just like with everything the Lord does, because the enemy is not a maker of his own things. He is no creator. He is a perverter of things. Right. And so this next verse I'm going to share, we find that here's, here's where this flesh hook that's designed to take our flesh to the altar gets perverted. 
It's First Samuel two, twelve to fourteen. And it says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial, they knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that that flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. And so here we find that these sons of Eli, these priests who knew not the Lord, they came in with a flesh hook of three. It's a three-pronged flesh hook. And I found this very interesting because I read in John 10.10, Jesus says at the end of that, with, with thinking about the flesh hook of one, he says, I've come that you could have life and have life to the full. Yeah. But the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. destroy yeah. And so here we find this three-pronged flesh hook that the enemy comes in. And what does he do? He comes in while the meat is seething. I find that very interesting because so many times in my own life, that's really when the enemies come in and gotten these agreements with me. When I'm mad, I'm so much more willing to go into agreements on things Ooh. that I wouldn't have been doing when I wasn't mad. So that anger really is an wow. open door into so much more that the enemy tries to get us into. So while this meat was seething, here comes these priests who did not know the Lord. These are demonic spirits, enemies of God, as we pull this over into the supernatural, they put this three-pronged instrument into the meat, and what do they say as they pull it out? Anything that sticks to this is mine. Mm -hmm. There's our agreement yeah. right there. Yeah. You just wow. came into agreement with something to kill, steal, or destroy, and what you just come into agreement with, yeah. that's mine. I get to do with what I please now with that. Wow. Wow. Very interesting, man. Yeah. Wow. It really makes you think about yeah. the things you're agreeing with. No, it totally, it, yeah, yeah. And to know, too, that whatever the devil presents to us, whatever temptation, lure, or bait, we have to know that it's tied to those three categories. It, it's, it's thievery. Uh, still, it's, it, it ultimately will try and kill you mm -hmm. or utterly destroy you. Yep. And these things can be things that we think of as even innocent. Like I really believe sure. that the, the enemy has set up structures that so many of us have come into agreement with. And here's a simple one that I think is totally from the enemy. Structure for, that the enemy has built that says because we get old, we're going to break down. Wow. wow. I don't find that in the word. I actually, find, I actually find Caleb saying, you know what, now that I'm 85, I'm as strong as I was when I was 40 years old. Wow. Well, Moses was 120. Yeah. And the Bible says his eyesight abated him not. He 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 was still strong. Wow. That is uh that's something a lot of people agree with though. Yep. And they've been you know what, John, they start saying it like in their 40s. Mhm. Mm you know, because you know, well, you know, you know, so and so, you know, my experience when you get 50 or you get 60, you know, can't do what you used to do. And it's like we start premeditating even planning future predicting we're prophesying into our future that we're going to be decrepit and broke and all that mm -hmm. i mean not me but you know this people they they speak that out yeah 
They do. And we don't even realize it most of the time that we're doing it. So what, what's so important is that, number one, we get into God's Word and get God's Word in us in such a deep way that whenever the enemy comes in with any of those kind of lies. Wow. Instantly confronted. Yep. We go, no, that's not what God word, God's Word says about that. Wow. God's Word says, I can have life and have it to the full. Yeah. And what does that mean? I don't have to deal with infirmities in my life. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to deal with cancers. I'm wow. not going to deal with major issues. And if any of those things were to try to come upon me, in Jesus' name, I'm already healed. I'm going to stand on his word through it all. I was just thinking, there it is, Psalm 91, 16, with long life, I will satisfy you. Like, we should come into agreement with that, John. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I love the analogy that you made of kind of the single flesh hook, you know, because Jesus said, if you want to uh, find your life or save your life, you must give up your, you know, this natural one. You must die to yourself. Take, take up your cross. And so he, 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 he's offering that righteous, you know, that flesh hook, like, hey, let me help you put it up here on the altar. It would be something pleasing uh, to the Father, whereas the enemies perverted it and twisting it. And, um, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to this concept here, he's lying, lying, lying. He'll, he'll, he'll offer you three different <laughs> options here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very, it's very tempting. It is very tempting. And it's important for people to know that, look, just because you're born again, or even just because you get victory over a certain thing, like in my life, getting victory over fear, getting victory over anger, getting victory over lust and pornography. Wow. Okay, that doesn't mean, like we talked about before, that the enemy isn't going to try to come back and fish that fishing hole again. Sure. So And up the ante. And up the ante. Here's a better bait. Here's right, something right. that's, you know. And so... Uh, I had thought, personally, I thought once I get victory over that, I'm not going to have to deal with it again ever. Sure. But it's important, really important for people to know, look, the enemy can still come and present. The enemy has the ability to still drop a picture in your mind or drop something in for you to either go, yeah, I'm going to agree with that or not. And so you just got to get your mindset over on, look, I'm going to set my face as a flint toward the Word of God and toward what God has called me to do. I will be obedient to my God, and I'm not going to take the bait anymore. You can see that bait dangling there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some people, maybe as they come out of certain addictions or whatever, they may even feel condemned that they even saw the bait. Yeah. Just don't take the bait. That's it. You know, you didn't present the bait. Yep. But that bait's trying to lure you to get back into that. And one way I know, just from stories that I've heard other people share too, I know this is common in a lot of people's lives, is they get so condemned that they even saw the bait. Well, that doesn't mean you took it. Yeah. You got to do something with it, though. Yeah. You know, you can just flee that space or, you know, just say, no, 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 I recognize what you're doing. And I, I, I have renounced that. I, I have disagreed with you. I disagreed with you a long time ago, and I'm not coming back in agreement now. Talk to the bait. Yeah. And if you if you do make the mistake of coming back into agreement with it, it's just so important to know this that when Jesus forgives you, he sends it as far as the east is from the west. Yeah. So if you mess up, all it is it's this simple. Father, I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry I hurt you. I don't ever want to do that again. And you know what? He looks at you again like you've never sinned in your life. Yeah. And then you don't pick up that condemnation because really all the enemy wants you to do is get right back into right condemnation. Right back into it, yeah. 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 You know, what is it? First John, he talks about the Father's faithful. If you confess it, man, he's faithful. Yeah. 
He's just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, I've had to take advantage of that several times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> like, man, Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping me with this. And, and, and then, you know, one thing he's going to do is he's going to point you back to the word. It's got to get that word in there because you you got to have that wherewithal, that supernatural inside you. The word in you will help you to recognize these um, situations that he's trying to bait you into. And the truth of the word will rise up in you and say, no, that's a lie. Don't agree with that. That's not the truth. Yeah. You know, the word is an agency for us. I mean, it's supernatural. It's helping us if we'll get it in us. You know, and when that prompting or that unction comes up, be quick to agree with the word. And that was the pattern we received from Jesus when he was tempted. No, it yeah, is written. It's written. This is law. Wow. That's powerful, John. Moment of silence. I <laughs> look and see how much time was left. Last time it went by so fast. Now we got some time to spare. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's cover real quick, or you may be on your way there, but Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Okay. I, I don't want to jump ahead if you've got it in your notes, but right here we see kind of the crux of the battle. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, uh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Right here is the very, the very key phrase, casting down arguments. The Amplified Bible adds theories or reasonings, and these are things that uh, rise up, uh, or exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And it says we're to bring those thoughts into captivity. This is really where the crux of the battle is right here. Is the devil cannot have access to you unless you agree with him. Yeah. And when you say yes to him, and we're, you know, you, you, you wouldn't actually say it quite like that, but, but when you come into that agreement, when you say yes to his proposal, then that's what sets that that hook. When you take the bait and say, yeah, you know what? I think that's right. Well, it's not righteous. It's wrong. Okay, it's not right. But when you agree with that or you say yes to it or you give in to the temptation, that's what sets that that hook is what, is what we're talking about. And sometimes people don't, don't know how to dislodge that. For sure. I think about what Dean Braxton said when he was traveling through that outer darkness on his way to heaven, when he had his heaven experience. He said as he was going through there and he was able to listen in on some of the conversations of the demonic spirits in there, he heard two demons arguing with each other and one of them said this about Satan, really in jealousy. He only has power because they give it to him. They give it to him. Wow. Yeah. John, that is so powerful. Hey, real quick, we need to talk about Dean because we've mentioned him. We need to encourage people to check out what Dean is uh, uh, doing. Um, His website is at deanbraxton.org dot com dean braxton dot com yeah, okay try both those i didn't look it up ahead of time but um dean braxton was dead for an hour and 45 minutes his doctor you can look him up on youtube dean dean braxton and uh, they interview his doctor and his doctor was like he's really really dead you know what i mean for a really long time like he was legitimately dead in fact his situation is one of the most well documented of this type one hour and 45 minutes and people say, well, Dean, did you really go to heaven? He said, well, where are believers supposed to go when they die? Yes, he really went to heaven. Fascinating story. Of course, John and Linda, y'all are close friends with him, and we know Dean uh, personally as well. And just phenomenal story. And uh, so when we reference these stories, the things that Dean have, 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 have seen, it, it, it just adds so much. I mean, I'm just I'm honored by his ministry yeah. that we have a little bit of insight 
into that side because he's been over there and come back. Yeah. And really what lends so much credibility to Dean is that Dean, Dean saw so much when he went to heaven. He saw all kinds of things he said that blew open his boxes. But number one, he said, even though so many things went outside of his religious boxes of what he thought he read in the Bible, he said, no, it blew that wide open. But he said it never one time went outside of the word of God. And so he really That's believes phenomenal. that 99.9% .9 of what he sees in heaven he can find in the Word of God, and he's found most of it. And and he doesn't share things with us unless he can go, okay, here's where I find that in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that lends so much credibility because that's, that's just so important. Look, we can't just go off into fantasy land experiencing various things if we can't come back and go, here's where I can right. find it in the Word. Right, the Bible's our plumb line. It's our safety net. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're saying that Dean had this experience on his way there that even the demons were arguing or communicating amongst themselves. And they were talking about that there's no power that they have unless it's granted to them. And particularly, most assuredly, we're talking about with the born-again believer. But really, that applies across the uh, board. Um People are giving in to the devil, though, because they don't have a relationship with the truth, so it makes it e easier to do that. But, um, I mean, fascinating truth, John, that really the work that the Holy Spirit has done in us, we are sealed. Yeah. And but, but the devil, he's working some of the laws of the natural realm, and he's hooking people because of the desire of the flesh that has been given into, and it's led them off into captivity. They've come into agreement with a lie you know, about them or about the situation, a deception, an untruth. And, uh, you know, I've done it. You know, you, your testimony, you've been there. Every, everybody's been there. And yet we're still navigating this. You know, I'm not perfect at it. But but the more word, John, that we're getting in us, like, and, and the whole reason why you're bringing this word today, because the Lord's talking to you about it, to, to empower and equip the believer yeah. to get out of these cycles, mm -hmm. to cut loose those, those, those bondages yep. that aren't in the spirit but they are limiting us from really doing all that we could do for christ jesus because in the natural in the flesh we've you know some um people have just um these hooks that are keeping them held back yeah i think about when jesus said who lights a candle and then places it under a basket and that word for basket really is vessel and so I, I just put it in context with what we're talking about, because you know what? When you become born again, literally the light of God himself is now on the inside uh, of yeah. you. And when we let these agreements come in and take hold of us, we're placing that flesh over that light, not letting that light get out. But if you can go, no, the light of the Holy Spirit is in me. I'm going to take that basket off. I'm going to take the flesh off and not live wow. in the flesh. That's when you can let your light shine. And... Um, so I just found that sort of powerful. He's really telling people, you know what? So many of us become born again and let that flesh come in and cover because of these agreements, because of the condemnation, because of the, the things the enemy knows. Okay, I can get them in agreement with this and really stifle and shut them down. Mm -hmm. But you go, no, I'm not going to let my flesh get in the way. If it ever does, like I said, you say you're sorry and you move on and you take that flesh right back off. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. You know, one way you can contend with that is say, it's written. Uh, I, I, I know that was something the Lord had me do. He had me study a passage of Scripture to help me overcome a particular situation. And uh, because the, the, the truth was in that word and getting, you know, built up to the place of, yes, that became like, a, like an absolute truth to me. I was so convinced, right, 
by that truth that when the temptation came, it was like, nah, you know, the yeah. truth totally outweighed, yeah. you know, it, 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 it made the lie, which seemed like so enticing before it seemed like so insignificant. Yeah. The word did that though. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. John, we got a couple minutes left. What do you got? Closing thoughts here. Well, just, you know, people that are left wondering how to, how to break these cycles, how to break these agreements, the word, like you just said, that's so powerful. And I just want to reiterate what I said in the first episode is the power of our surrender. Because in my life, it wasn't until I decided, you know what, I'm done wow. with getting the same old Come things because I've always done things the same old way, living life my way. And really, really, I think this is seriously how it is. I was my own God. I called myself wow. Christian. I had said, Lord, I want to make you my Lord and Savior, but I still lived life by my own standards. I still did what John wanted to do. I was my own God. And when you're living life as your own God, and God is not in the proper place in your life, that really gives a lot of room for the enemy to come in and get those agreements. So once I said, no, Lord, I fully surrender to you. I'm going to do it your way. And I started going, okay, Lord, you show me who I am. That was a desire he put on my heart. But I said, Lord, you show me who I am. And I heard him say to me, you are the obedient one. And I broke down bawling. How could you call me the obedient one? Because you know what? Once we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, like I said earlier, he looks at us like we have never sinned in our life. So what does he see? He, when he looks at you, born again, he sees who he created you to be, what he created you to do with the gifts and the anointing that he's placed over your life. He literally is looking at you like, oh, if you only knew what I have for you, if you would surrender and walk wow. in what I created you to be instead of what you're trying to be. And, and that point of surrender really broke every one of those things off me. Wow, John. Powerful, bro. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so Hallelujah. much for having me. Oh, man, I've, I've enjoyed it. John, how can people get a hold of what y'all are doing? You got a website? <laughs> we, do, we don't have a website yet. No, but you know what? We're going to be coming in and doing a lot more videos with you. So I'd yeah, say okay. stay tuned right here, and you'll get a lot of, a lot of it. Sure. Here from Grace City. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, but you, you guys are doing some fascinating stuff. John is a soul-winning machine. Uh, I've got to have you on here just to talk about some of the ways you just fleshed out just evangelizing. I mean, some powerful stories. Yeah, powerful stories. So we'll have to have John back. Hallelujah. Hey, listen, uh, we would love to pray with you. That's one thing we can do is we can come into agreement with you if you need somebody or would like. Somebody to just uh, pray with you, agree with you, stand with you on something you're facing in your life. Several ways you can reach out to us. You can call us 870-741-9099. Leave a message. One of our prayer partners will respond to you. Or you can send an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv, and we'll get it to our prayer team. Anyways, John, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.